I'm Dr. Kathleen Hall, and it is a pleasure to be with you today. I want to thank Donna Cruz and Karen Price for the privilege of working with me on this project. They are both consummate professionals with a great commitment to your mental and physical health and all the members of this organization. And I want to thank all the members of the Alabama Association of Health Information Management. You work tirelessly to protect, oversee, and organize patient health information data. Uh, I happen to know a little about what you do in the field of medical records. I happen to be married to a physician, and my daughter's also a physician. So, of course, you are one of the critical roots of what my husband and daughter do every day of their lives. And I've spent a good portion of my own life in hospitals and have worked with medical records professionals. So we are so humbly and incredibly grateful to every one of you for everything you do. Your job was tough enough before electronic medical records, but now it's just unfathomable to me what one workday looks like for you. Whew. In today's world, what a stressful job. I mean, you have a daily stress cocktail of patients, coworkers, electronic medical records, keeping up to date with this ever-changing world, ramifications of this current pandemic, your family, and last but not least, yourself. This is your greatest challenge, to care for yourself first and foremost, because without your mental and physical health and well-being, your life will become fractured, stressed, unhappy, and those around you will also be unhappy. The good news is, today you're going to learn some simple, life-changing healing practices that will bring health and happiness and meaning to your life. You can actually learn stress resilience. We have research on this now. You can learn how to build up resilience to the stressors of this world so you can live a great life. You need these life-saving tools because the stressful world we live in is only going to get more stressful. Next slide. First off, let me introduce myself and share how I developed a love affair with stress, resilience, and happiness so that you know who I am. I started out years ago on Wall Street as a financial advisor in my office at 104th floor of the World Trade Center. I had uh, two children, a husband who's a gastroenterologist, and a very, very busy life trying to manage it just like all of you are trying to manage your own life. So believe me, I can identify. I became fascinated with how stress motivates and creates greatness in some of us, and in others, stress can wreak havoc and literally destroy an individual's physical and mental health and destroy what they cherish most, their friends and their relationships with their families. My life was moving along. I was a very organized, uh, you know, very driven person. So my life was moving along at an orchestrated speed, pace, and I had been designed for success. I had a great husband, I had an incredible career, two beautiful daughters, and all the trappings of, quote, what success meant in my world at that time. One day after I got off the elevator on the 104th floor at the World Trade Center in New York, my life changed forever. It was the first time I had a panic attack, and my well-designed life literally was shattered and came apart. I continued doing some venture capital and managing money, thinking it was a one-time thing, but that was just the beginning of the floodgates. My stress continued to grow. And then I started to become paralyzed uh, with fear and anxiety and worry. But I also became aware and fascinated with the power of stress 
to stop all of us in our lives, to stop us in our tracks. But like most of my colleagues, I was drinking too much to help de-stress my life. We met every afternoon at four in the afternoon and drank our sorrows or our anxieties before we went home. I started becoming short-tempered and my anxiety went through the roof and I was getting more unhappy and it was literally drowning me. So I was fascinated with the emerging research on how uh, were believe they were believing back then that stress was the driver of most diseases. And I talked to several experts at Harvard and different places around the world. I went and visited them. And they said that they believed stress would be the future of medicine, that we would see that it was the driver of all diseases. So here I am after two decades of gathering research, pursuing a formal education, training, and lots of personal experience in stress, health, and mind-body medicine. And I founded the Stress Institute. Spent many years studying stress in different venues because I was fascinated with how people became resilient or didn't. So I studied with workers, CEOs, people with cancer, grief, hospice, people that had lost their children to horrible diseases, inner city poverty. I traveled literally around the world and lived with tribes. I was fascinated with how other cultures handled stress. And mind-body medicine was just on the fringe back then. But now it's considered mainstream. That's the best news. So after many years, I have subsequently become an expert in a field that almost literally destroyed my life. The emerging field of stress. Next slide. This is the world we live in today. Uh, gun violence. I mean, I know every one of you before I even turn on the Today Show in the morning or Good Morning America or any, any shows in the morning, I'd say uh, take a deep breath and, and breathe in light and love because I know there's going to be a shooting. I hate, I'm not negative, I'm a very positive person, but this is a pandemic, uh, another one in, in our world right now. So gun violence, and I think we're going to have to be living with that for maybe the rest of our lives, seriously. Climate change, it's a fact. We're watching the worst hurricanes and tornadoes and destruction in this beautiful, perfect country that I've ever seen, and all of us have seen, and this is costing us zillions of dollars. The congressional gridlock, that's a perennial problem, as you, most of us know, decades and decades. Financial stress, it waxes and wanes, um, but it's part of our lives. Actually, financial stress is the number one stressor in our country and in the world of people. And health concerns come right behind that that we are concerned about our health. We're concerned about not having enough health uh, insurance coverage. We're concerned about staying healthy so that we can enjoy our lives. We're now concerned about a pandemic. So this is an ongoing problem and challenge. Self-aside, it's a term a close psychiatrist friend and I developed. Suicide is killing of the body. Homicide is killing someone else. But self-aside, is killing your inner self, your inner being, your psyche. Not meaningful, but it's the culture and the way that we're living right now. Self-aside is destroying your mental and physical and spiritual health. Emotional poisons. Emotional poisons is allowing these poisons to erode your mental health. Poisons like chronic worry, fear, anger. It's, it, these eat away at the psyche and the self. And we're losing our confidence. People are more afraid or not sure. We have to Google everything to see how we're supposed to act or do something. Uh, we've lost our sense of human confidence. Next is technology, this technological virtual world, social media. 
the world we live in is incredible and wondrous with all these discoveries and amazing, but it's also killing us. Technology stress is only going to increase in our future. And by the way, that's right behind financial stress and health stresses, technology stress, and general stress. Um, as you just saw in the images of the world today, stress is the epidemic of the 21st century. And yes, stress is different than it was before. It is. We actually have more stress and it affects us more because we have 24-7 news. We, have, uh, we find out everything that's going on, whether it's in Africa, China, the United States. So we are connected to everybody. We just used to worry about our small town, our neighbors, or our family. But now we hear about all the catastrophic events around the world. And, and our brains and our, our being was just not meant to process that. So the self-aside data. 2020, the World Health Organization, depression is a leading cause of disability in the world. Depression. Next, 90% of visits to primary care physicians are stress-related. And this is an amazing statistic. The onset of clinical depression in 1960 was 55 years old. And right now it's 25 and it's eking down every single year. That is unbelievable data. Next slide. So let's talk, talk about the forms of stress. There's first, stress is a physiological, as, as you probably well know, it's a law of physics. Uh, we're inhaling and exhaling now, the blood's beating through your body, the waves on the ocean are going back and forth, everything is physics. So stress, we would not be alive, the earth wouldn't be rotating. Stress affects everything. So it's really a neutral, neutral word. But as far as it's not, as far as our bodies and as far as our mental and physical health. There's positive and negative stress. So for an example, uh, if I was told that I had to get ready for a marathon in six months or a year, I would freak out. I would uh, not go buy my tennis shoes right away and get a trainer. I would have probably some kind of panic attack and go, I, I, no, I'm not a runner, I'm not gonna do it. Okay, so I, my, my perception was negative. Now, a month later, I may go to the first meeting of the people that are going to run, and I may love Beth and Bill and Susan and go, oh my gosh, this is going to be fun. We're going to do it together. We're going to train together. I'm going to get back in shape. I've never run before, and I've had a really bad attitude about it. So I'm going to change to a positive. So see, the forms of stress, you yourself, a, a problem with a relationship in your family. You can say, this is the end. We just went through a big one in my own family with our daughter. Negative, negative, and then all of a sudden it shifted, and I said, I've got to change this to positive stress. We called and got some help from a counselor. Everything changed, and we're madly in love again. So you can shift it. It changes. It's, your, it, it's how you view this. There's two kinds, acute stress and chronic stress. Acute stress is you're in the car, and somebody honks at you, and they flick you off, or acute stress is you get a call from the principal at school. You go to school, and your child spit at somebody, God forbid. But anyway... Uh, believe me, I know. I raised two kids. We got those calls quite frequently. Anyway, uh, that's acute stress. You produce adrenaline. It's absorbed. It comes out through your urine, your sweat. You know, we were made for that. Chronic stress is a different thing. Chronic is unabated long-term stress lasting over about four to six weeks. That's when you're in a bad marriage. You're not. Your children are struggling. You don't like your job. You have a possible uh, chronic illness. Whatever is that lasts a long time. That's where the health consequences, mental and physical health, is in chronic stress. 
And then we have contagious stress. And contagious stress is when I have a perfect day, walk into my office, and Susan comes up to me and she goes, did you hear they're downsizing? And I go, what? And she goes, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all over so-and-so. Then you go back to your office, and then Bill comes by and goes, Kathleen, did you hear that they're going to close our department? So contagious stress is actually studied in Europe, and that can happen at work, in your neighborhood, in your family, and it's where we literally, like the flu, we pass it to each other, and we believe it, so it changes our physiological being and our mental health. So contagious stress is pretty interesting. Like I said, I saw, uh, I was in uh, Europe, in Ireland, when they were studying contagious stress. Anyway, it's very interesting, um, and how they mitigate it when they find it in corporations. Um, Next is attitude. So again, it's kind of like positive and negative stress. It's your attitude. It's your attitude towards your life. Do you take this as every obstacle is an opportunity or I just can't take this anymore? So this is a huge thing for you also to uh, realize in your life. You have a choice, okay? You are not the victim. Even if you're diagnosed with something, um, we're going through a family health crisis right now. And the only thing I can say is, you know, we've got great science on hope. Uh, people that have hope, the outcomes are incredible. And, uh, and, and I'm talking about in every facet of measurable things with the body, whether it's blood pressure, heart rate, uh, your sed rate. So anyway, it's pretty cool what we're finding out about stress and again, how you can become more resilient. Next slide. So stress does affect your life. And we become too stressed for sex. And you women are going to love this. Men's libido, when libidos, when they're under stress, it doesn't bother them very much. Not so for women. Our sexual response is much more complicated. And our lack of desire is caused by fatigue and emotional overload. So it does really affect our life. Next slide. So let's talk about the health effects of stress. Stress is the silent killer. And we know the silent killers are heart disease, hypertension, stroke. Heart disease is the number one killer of women. So we ignore our symptoms and we take care of everyone else. Diabetes, hormones from stress increase your blood pressure. They raise your heart rate and they cause your blood sugar to rise. Memory loss, stress hurts your memory. And you know, also, most of us are worried about things like dementia or Alzheimer's or when we get older. We're worried about keeping our highest prized real estate, our brain, healthy, which we should. So stress is bad for your brain cells. It hurts your memory. And next, stress prematurely ages you. A new study from the University of California shows that stress can take as much as 10 years off of your life. We study telomeres in your DNA, and they actually, when you're stressed, they actually shorten. Okay, which, which is your replication of, of, of how long you live, your health, passing on your DNA and extending your life. So this is the good news, though. The good news is we know that under training, like we're going to talk about today, and uh, learning new types of things to deal with stress, it can actually reverse in a very short period of time. Also, research is showing that stress shrinks the brain. Researchers believe high levels of stress hormones may directly promote that brain shrinkage. Also, weight gain. I mean, especially after the pandemic, who is not you know, struggling with some weight gain? Most of my people. I know some people have lost weight, but I don't know about this. So stress makes us fat. Research at Stanford shows that changes in our metabolism are caused by the stress hormones. When you're stressed, your body needs more nourishment and your appetite increases. So you eat more. 
to satisfy your appetite and the serotonin makes you feel calm and good and relaxed. But as soon as that food's digested, your cortisol level raises again and your appetite gets stimulated again and the cycle continues. So have compassion for yourself. This is a stress cycle. Insomnia, stress and anxiety can lead to insomnia and sleep problems. About 40% of Americans right now are experiencing tremendous stress and insomnia. But also lack of proper sleep contributes to stress. It's like a, a, a both and. And because stress and sleep problems are shared, there's a reciprocal relationship. Stress hormones like adrenaline, cortisol, they hurt your sleep. And chronic insomnia increases your stress and that causes inflammation. And we know inflammation is the driver of all diseases. Next is depression and anxiety. Stress affects your mental health. Depression. Individuals with depression have a 70% higher death rate from heart disease. Depression drives all diseases also. It shuts down our body and our immune system. And again, depression is the leading cause of illness and disability in the world, as the World Health Organization has told us. And over 30,000 people commit suicide every year, which is driven by depression. So we have to get a handle on this, this horrible chronic disease that is not just taking over the United States, but taking over the world. Chronic pain. Stress causes your muscles to tighten, which can eventually cause chronic back and shoulder pain, elbow pain, knee pain. If you already have chronic pain, then stress exacerbates this chronic pain. It also weakens your immune system. Your immune system just gets exhausted. Diseases affected by your immune system are directly affected by stress. Stress lowers the functioning of your immune system. Stress causes dangerous inflammation in your body. And stress is directly related to such diseases as cancer, obesity, insomnia, arthritis, and really most diseases and conditions. And then headaches, one third of adults actually experience tension headaches. And for those of you younger people, infertility is on the rise tremendously. Recent studies have found the links between women's day-to-day -day stress and lower levels of pregnancy. For example, women whose saliva had high levels of alpha amylase, an enzyme that marks stress, took 30% longer to get pregnant compared with those that didn't. We know now that the stress symptoms such as cortisol, they disrupt between the brain and the ovaries, which can trip ovulation. Next slide. Stress affects your relationships between your spouse and partner. You know this. It affects your relationship with your children. How about your friends? You get short, tight, angry, or you withdraw and keep secrets. And your coworkers. Stress affects everything at work. And it affects your job. You can act out yourself in anger and rage, absenteeism, productivity, turnover. When we do data, to, when we examine it to look at, at uh, jobs and, and, and we examine our employees and find out, look at the absenteeism. Look, productivity has gone down 20% in that department. Look at turnover. Turnover is huge. We have to do something about it. And children mirror your stress. This was something I didn't know when I was growing, you know, raising my own children, who happen to be adults now. And I wish I would have known this because my husband and I, you know, we, 
were stressed and trying to make everything work and we would close the bedroom door or argue or whatever we did and we thought we were protecting our children. We did not back then know that children mirror your stress and they do. And we actually look at um, genes now and children not only genetically inherit their stress resilience or their um, lack of stress resilience, but they also the environment contributes to it too. So it's both and. But also stress can be a gift. Stress can be a gift. I know that it was for me. I know that um, if I wouldn't have had that horrible panic attack, if I wouldn't have had my husband and I have our marriage problems, if I wouldn't have had the rift with my daughter, I wouldn't have realized what was going on inside of me that looks like stress. It, it, it's, um, it's like a getting something, uh, uh, oh, let me think of it. It's like getting a bump on your shoulder and then it getting bigger. There could be something under there like uh, an infection, it could be a cancer. So stress is just the outward thing that you're noticing, you, you know, it's, it's the sign, it's the symbol that something's just not quite right with your life. So stress tells you that your marriage needs something new. Your health, an important friend, your job, sadness you never processed about the death of someone you love or the loss of something, or something you need to deal with you've been avoiding. Stress affects your mental and physical health and drives you to create changes in your lifestyle. We might not have the impetus to change, to become something more, to change our lives if stress really didn't affect us. So, the question is, do you choose self-aside or do you choose self-care? Choice, not chance, determines your destiny choice. You are not the victim, not chance, determines your destiny. It's kind of like I used to see people like myself, maybe, that accomplished a lot, did a lot. Boy, they're lucky. They must have had a great family. They must have went to the right schools. They must have. Not really. People like myself were raised in horrendously violent childhood, horrendously stressful life, tremendous losses of a daughter, losses and uh still struggle with stress every day of my life, but it's not to the high level. If it used to be 90 on a one to 100 level, if it used to be 90, now it's like 20, 30. And I'm very aware of when it happens, but I did feel victimized. But remember, choice, not chance, determines your destiny. I want you to choose self-care. I don't want you to choose self-aside. So let's go further. Next slide. So let's talk about the self-care program. We can now measure cortisol, other hormones. We can, you know, check neurochemicals in the blood, urine, and saliva. So what we know now is not in a week, six weeks, or six months, as we thought previously in my training a long time ago, but now we know that there is an immediate effect and long-term effects. So anything you change, any practice you change, any lifestyle change, it affects you immediately. You don't have to wait four to six weeks or six months like we used to think, now that we can test it in real time. And after many years of experience, I've created an acronym called SELF-CARE, S-E-L-F-C-A-R-E. 
LF Care. There are four roots to a life of health, happiness, and balance. These four roots are four effective skills that can significantly improve all diseases and conditions. There is great scientific research supporting why these four roots, S-E-L-F care, are so effective. Also, most medical research centers such as Harvard, Duke, Stanford, and many others use these four roots in their treatment programs. For patients with cardiovascular disease, cancer, stress, depression, insomnia, obesity, and most other diseases and conditions. And I've been very fortunate to train in a lot of these places, institutions, and it is across the board, the same four roots. Now, the medical field calls this the four quadrant approach to health. I found this medical model at these places, at these institutions, and all four quadrants are rooted in thousands of scientific studies. The medical model is a circle. As you can see, it's divided into four quadrants, stress reduction, diet, exercise, and group support. When I finished my training, I created my own wellness and stress center. I tried this scientifically proven four-quadrant approach with my patients, the one on the left. They showed up already stressed, diagnosed with a disease, or struggling with depression, or whatever they came to me or to the group for, or to the hospital. And I tried this program. They couldn't remember it. It was, it was like they came there overwhelmed anyway, and I was just throwing some medical jargon on top of them. No matter what research I told them or quoted studies, it just didn't work. So I worked with them and tried to develop a simple acronym that was easy for patients and people to remember so they could take it in their mind and their heart and remember it simply 24 hours a day, every day of their life. And they could tell other people about it. Very simple so that they would comply and root their lives in this incredibly healthy lifestyle. I have worked with cardiopulmonary groups. I'm a member of the American Cardiopulmonary Rehabilitation Association. I've worked with cancer groups, stress groups, grief, um, you name it. I've worked with it and tried this uh, acronym approach. It's been very, very effective through the years. So self-care is an easy acronym to remember, and it's got the four roots. So what is the acronym of self-care? Four roots. Serenity. Stress reduction really actually stressed them more because it was a negative term. So I thought, what do people really want? And what's serenity? Serenity. People want serenity, just like the serenity prayer. So even when they said it, instead of stress reduction, staccato, they went, serenity. It's almost like a flow of a song. So that worked. Serenity. They need to... Find some stress reduction practice. That was the S. E is exercise. When people, my groups, thought of exercise, they thought of walking, they thought of running, they thought of going to a gym, a trainer, they thought of going to the hospital in cardiac rehab training. And people really, a lot of them, act negatively to the word exercise because they've had a bad experience. So what I did, I changed exercise to the concept of motion. Just walking, stretching, a few yoga stretches, Tai Chi, Qigong, you got to move every day. This perfectly created body has to move. It has to move. And all the icons of the world moved, whether it was Buddha, Jesus, uh, Gandhi, King, I don't care who they are. Everybody moved. So we got to move. L is love instead of group support. Group support, you cannot have, especially in rural communities or even people in urban communities that have just had a diagnosis, are stressed out, had panic attacks, 
or depressed and you ask them to come into a support group and say, oh, tell us why you're here. It was terrifying enough that they wouldn't show up for group support because they didn't want to become even more vulnerable as they were vulnerable to the disease or condition they were already dealing with. I had people with zippers and their chest diagnosed with cancer, you name it, are so stressed out they didn't want to disclose in a group. So I thought, you know what really the science is showing? Yeah, group support works. Lowers cancer, lowers the medicines people are on when they get in a group. I mean, the health outcomes are outstanding. But what's doing it? It's the love. It's the unconditional acceptance and love they experience in a group. So I thought, okay, change it to love. That's L. And last is diet. Diet tests negative in 90% of human beings. The word diet, we don't like it. I said food. Food is good. Food is holy. Food is an essential element in all religions and spiritualities. Food is celebration. Rituals throughout our lives have to do with food. Food is sacred. So, I had the self. Self-care every day. Serenity, exercise, love, and food. The four roots of health for your life. Next slide. And where we are at in the world right now is where science meets the soul. We know that every single thing we just talked about in self-care, serenity, it brings peace to the soul. We also know it has health outcomes. Exercise, we know that the, your soul feels better, your spirit feels better after a walk, after a stretch, anything that just movement. And we also know the health outcomes of people that exercise. Love. We know that when we love in relationships, whether it's close relationships, work, community, we also know that we can look at health outcomes. Longevity increases, your resistance to disease increases. Also food. We know that food literally is medicine. And we know that when we eat our grandmother's soup or a meal on a cold night and we have soup, or we know that when we eat as a family and we're belly laughing at a picnic, it changes the soul, and we also know that food is medicine. And we know that food changes the outcome of diseases, and it also cha changes our chances of getting certain diseases. So this is where we are right now. We're science. We can literally, like this woman here, sit there and relax, and we could do a PET scan. We can do all kinds of blood tests and literally have a physician show the difference in the brain and in the body. Next slide. first root of self-care is serenity. Serenity is the opposite of stress. Resting with you. Start again. The first root of self-care is serenity. Serenity is the opposite of stress. Resting your hard-working mind and body for just a few minutes creates enormous health benefits. Your mind quiets and connects with the inner you. Next slide. And here's a, here's a cartoon that I absolutely love. I just dreamed a rich and powerful human traveling. Okay, again, let's do it again. Let's scratch that one. I'm an animal lover, so I love this particular cartoon. I just dreamed 
I was a rich and powerful human being traveling the world, attending high-level meetings, commanding billions of dollars in assets. No kidding. What a nightmare. <laughs> Been there, done that. Next slide. <sighs> okay. So let's talk about why serenity, why these stress reduction practices are critical and essential for stress resilience. Your body is actually your best pharmacy. You produce 100,000 chemical reactions in your body every second. We are a walking, living, breathing miracle. You can create an immediate change in you. You receive an immediate benefit. Every thought, every emotion, every action has an immediate effect. Every thought you have releases a chemical component. The minute we change our perception, we rewrite the chemistry of our brain. That was said by Dr. Bruce Lipton. So, what, what happens to your body and your mind when you actually do serenity practices? It grows your brain, you have neurogenesis. Harvard studies show individuals who meditate regularly actually increase their neural production. It increases productivity, your brain's relaxed, and you, this helps with productivity because it slows the mind down that's flooded with thoughts and worries. And actually we have research that shows this very well. It improves memory. Studies show meditation or relaxation practices improves your memory. It also stimulates creativity. For those of us that are writers or doing different things or even DIY projects, I don't care who you are, creativity is fun. It lowers your heart rate. Studies show your heart rate decreases. It lowers your cholesterol. Regular meditation, relaxation practices lower your cholesterol. Lowers your risk for heart disease. When your blood pressure and heart rate and cholesterol are reduced, of course, your risk for heart disease decreases. It helps with insomnia and meditation. It reduces the stress hormone production in your body and increases the production of relaxation hormones. Your mind is quieted and it improves your sleep. You go to deeper levels of REM sleep that renew and heal the mind and body and keep you in balance. And meditation and the relaxation response also reduces pain Meditation reduces the brain's response to pain. This is really important. Brain scans show 40 to 50% less activity in the brain in your response to pain. That is huge. And insomnia. Dr. Jacobs at Harvard had 100 patients with insomnia, and he had them practice the relaxation response meditation for 10 weeks. 100% of the patients reported some type of improvement in sleep, and 91% stopped or decreased their sleep medication use. And infertility. Allie Domer, who was at Harvard when I was there, worked with women in infertility. They had to have been infertile over three and a half years in her study. They practiced 10 weeks of the relaxation response, and one third of the women who had been infertile actually became pregnant. Also, it increases your longevity, reduces your risk of all diseases. So what's, I mean, it has every practical, I mean, amazing scientific and health benefit, serenity practices. Next slide. Okay, so I have 25. Okay, so. Love and food. Okay. 
slide 19. Okay. So, slide 19. Scientific research shows that serenity practices reduce your stress and create mental health. So here's a few practices. First is your breath. In all languages, breath is the same word for breath and spirit. English is one of the only words that separates your breath from your spirit. It's the word ruha in Hebrew, the word prana in Hindu, it's the word chi in Chinese, and it's the word pneuma in Latin. This word in all languages means the same thing, vital force. Your breath is your vital force. It's the first thing you do when you come out of your mother, and it is the last thing you will bless the earth with before you leave. But we don't have any reverence. All other cultures, most of them have reverence for their breath. We have really lost it. Let's renew reverence for our breath. We breathe about, right now, with about three-fourths of our lungs. And the reason is we're in a hurry. We breathe in and out very quickly. Did you know that the lower lobes of your lungs, where the greatest cell production is, that increases your immune response? So we need to go back and learn to breathe deeply and teach your children, your spouse, friends, anybody you have, coworkers. Breathing is your first line of defense. So here are some simple breathing exercises. Diaphragmatic breathing, your diaphragm. Okay, so your belly is extended when your lungs are full, when we inhale, and your belly is flat. Best way to learn this is lay on the floor. When you inhale to the count of four, your belly should be up in the air. Hold your breath to the count of four. Inhale, and then when you exhale, to the count of four, your belly should be flat. Inhale to the count of four, exhale to the count of four. Now, when you're breathing, breathe through your nose. Your nose has hairs to trap and filter out the bacteria and germs. Your air passage from your nose to your lungs warms the air and makes it moist. The air is more efficiently usable the moment it enters your lungs. It's the right temperature, the right moisture, and it makes your lungs work less, okay? So when you're inhaling, through your nose, okay? And then when you're exhaling, exhale through your mouth, okay? Inhale, exhale. Do this over and over, just for about 30 seconds or a minute. I want you to notice how calm your mind and body are. So, do it before a meeting or in car traffic at a stressful time. I suggest you do it, you know, all, anytime, anytime you're stressed. I like to do it before an important phone call because I know that my body is totally relaxed. And, and it, I, I love this fact that your brain waves actually change even the minute that you do this. Beta waves are alert and working. So that's 13 to 14 cycles per second in the brain, 13 to 40, 40 cycles. What, the minute you start breathing, you shift to alpha waves, 7 to 13 cycles a second. Isn't that cool? You cut it completely down so your brain is getting all this beautiful food, this beautiful oxygen. And the relaxation response is what meditation is. But this term was originally coined by a Harvard physician that I happen to train with, love him, uh, Dr. Herb Benson, who is the head of the Mind-Body Institute. But now we know that studies show how dramatically all of your body, all of your body systems change when you meditate or practice the relaxation response. 
when you get intentionally silent, the immune system, your cardiovascular system, and inflammation in your body decreases. The blood flow to your brain and all your vital organs immediately increases. So you're feeding everything. You're feeding your liver, your heart. It's really cool. Remember, your heart beats 100,000 times a day. So that little baby is exhausted. I mean, from the time you were conceived, not when you were born, your heart beats till the time you die. So what are you doing to help that beautiful, beautiful heart muscle? Okay, let's help him or her relax. So how do you do a relaxation response or a short mini meditation? Just go to a quiet place. Again, your car, corner of your office, a closet, in your home somewhere. Go to a quiet place. And again, if it's not quiet, you can put on headphones. We have great apps now that have silence or music or noise, or, uh, nature noises. Relax, have a passive attitude of reception. Focus, focus, and breathe. Remember that to the count of four and remember to the exhale to the count of four. Some people like silence. A lot of people that I have are so anxious or maybe so depressed or this is new to them and they're fearful, so they'd rather listen to nature sounds or music sounds. So whatever makes you relax. What we know is every one of us are individuals. Every one of us were brought up. Remember, your genetics, nature and nurture, and your environment determine your stress response. No two of us are the same. Do not judge other people, please. When a lot of people look at me and go, I can't believe you that stress. I can't believe that that noise made you that anxious. We are all different. We need to have compassion for each other. So do a mini. Just do a one to three minute meditation, okay? And then you can do a guided meditation. You can go to the meditation room. We have one on the Mindful Living Network. You can access it at the mindfullivingnetwork.com or on our YouTube channel. It's a cool meditation room. You have guided meditations. You can meditate uh, with a um, star being born, a nebula. You can go to lavender fields in the south of France. You can go into uh, all kinds of amazing places in our meditation room. So whatever allows you, your choice, Whatever makes you relax the most. No one else. Next, we know affirmations, positive short statements. You may have about 60,000 thoughts a day. So what we're trying to do is a lot of these are negative thoughts. I fear. I'm angry. What should I do? They're defensive. But research shows us that individuals who memorize excuse me, affirmations have lower cortisol levels, that stress hormone, that big stress hormone that's the driver of disease, than people who do not repeat affirmations. So we have scientific proof saying positive things actually work. And also remember, we know they work. Look at uh, athletes. They say positive affirmations uh, before they make that basket, before they um, catch that football, before you know they go out with the team. They all do guided imagery now. We know that it actually works. So, you know, uh, uh, also sexuality. We can see a movie. We can think about our uh, somebody we love and our heart rate goes up. We may get a little sweaty. So these are very powerful chemicals when we're thinking about something. So affirmations are to stop negative self-talk. Get those other hormones. Remember, we want the relaxation and happy hormones. So focus on your breath. As you inhale, say your positive affirmation. And as you exhale, release whatever stress you have. Repeat this for about 30 seconds. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. I'm always protected and guided. On the inhale and on the exhale, release. I am strong. It's a positive affirmation. Release. I am perfect and whole just as I am. 
I begin my life today in this moment. I am in perfect balance. I trust my inner voice. Create your own positive affirmation. Or again, you can go to our site and find some positive affirmations you love. Repeat the same one over and over. Find which one makes you calm down. It's very individualistic. Next is guided imagery. Guided imagery, we have huge science that proves it works. And again, here we go with guided imagery. We know that what you imagine actually happens. So whether you're an athlete, whether it's a sexual fantasy, what we see in our mind, our brain believes. Your brain listens, sees, hears something, and your brain releases hormones and chemicals reacting to every thought. So memorize a calming, peaceful place in your past where you've experienced total peace and calm. Maybe a mountain. For others, it's beaches. For somebody, it's a farm like me. Mine's a farm. In your garden. I don't know. Maybe in your bed. But close your eyes. Take a deep breath and be in that place. Your blood pressure drops, your heart rate decreases, your hormones totally change, the chemicals you're producing change. Memorize that place in your mind where you're peaceful and relaxed. That is what is simple guided imagery with. It's another tool in your tool chest, okay? And don't forget gratitude. It's impossible to experience gratitude and stress simultaneously. Studies tell us people who intentionally practice gratitude experience less stress and depression. Exercise more regularly. Achieve more of your personal goals, okay? So people, we, I mean, gratitude is scientifically being proven that it has health outcomes. Long-term research found that individuals who report a high level of gratitude and optimism have a 55% lower risk of death from all causes. It's pretty cool and 23% lower risk of all health-related death, okay? So be grateful. It's a simple thing. Here's some simple tips. Pick a certain time of day in your schedule to focus on gratitude. I set my timer, to be honest with you. I set it at 10. I set it at 2, 4, and 7. I do. And at those times, I do my take a deep breath. I do my breathing exercises. I also say what I'm grateful for. Uh, when I'm brushing my teeth in the morning, when I'm in the bathroom, when I'm turn on my electric toothbrush, I smile and look at myself in the mirror and immediately, I uh, before lunch. So set up times uh, when I say my prayer before every one of my meals, three times a day. I am so grateful for the food and for the farmers that made it. So make gratitude a huge part of your day. I have a phone reminder when it's not things I've built in like brushing my teeth or praying before meals. Discipline yourself to do that. At stoplights, when I stop, I stop, look at the light, and instead of getting anxious or waiting for it to turn green, I look around and say, "What? Well, I'm thankful for that tree. I'm so grateful for that dog that woman is walking. And also, don't forget to show gratitude for your miraculous body. It's amazing. Every morning before you get out of bed, thank your brain, your eyes, your ears, your hands, your heart, your liver, your gallbladder. Stop at the, start at the top of your head. Go to the bottom of your feet. This is a miraculous holy, unbelievable thing. The more that I've studied it through 20, 30 years, we're just a walking miracle. But how many times do we actually think this beautiful body that's giving us all these human experiences? So do that. Your body will thank you for it. How many times has your, you've thanked your liver or gallbladder or pancreas? I'm telling you, you can laugh, but we know now, now that every organ has cells of intelligence that identifies what we're saying and what we're thinking. So I think it's pretty cool. Don't forget ecotherapy. People that get outside, almost 80% have less depression, less anxiety. They get an immune boost. Again, we have new science on ecotherapy. When in doubt, get outside. I'm serious. 
Um, when we make connections with animals or trees or clouds, everything changes. When we walk, just even that motion produces endorphins and serotonin. So schedule a walk during your busy lunch hour. Get outside just for a few minutes. Listen to nature sounds. As I told you, we have great apps. Keep photos of nature. Put a plant in your office. Keep a small aquarium. Next, don't forget laughter. Laughter, laughter. Your artery diameter actually increases when you are stressed by 22%. Okay? Chronic stress can actually increase it as much as 35%. Okay? So it goes from 22 to 35% increase when you're stressed. That's a lot. That's over a third. But the minute you start laughing, it decreases by 22%, 25%. Isn't that cool? Immediately takes it back. You get an immune boost, huge immune boost. You get a brain boost. Laughter increases arterial blood, which has an effect on the brain. It cools the brain down, and it influences neurotransmission, okay? The hormones that convey emotional states and feelings to every part of your body. It changes your blood pressure. So laugh. Laughter really is the best medicine. That old saying, it's really, really true. And don't forget sleep. Research shows meditation helps reduce insomnia and sleep problems, which is what we're going to talk about next. End of slide. And these are some of the best tips for sleep. I call it sleep hygiene. Sleep is more important than we ever knew. Why do you think one third of your life, eight hours is spent sleeping? It's because miracles are happening. You, your heart's racing, you're breathing, this body is working all day long. Sleep is the only time that your body can refresh, renew, get rid of dead cells, get rid of cancer cells that are, are eminent, get rid of infections. Sleep is critical. So have a positive attitude about sleep. Like, I love my sleep. It is the best time of my life. I just know miracles are happening. I could just surrender because my whole mind and body know exactly what to do. So try to think of your bedroom as your nest, the coziest place on earth, okay? It's really, really important. Make it your coziest place on earth. I love my bedroom. I actually, I, 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 this research on sleep changed my whole life about sleep. I thought of it as just something to do, something I had to do. Now I get so excited about sleep and naps, I can't stand it. Keep a regular schedule. I have my uh, iPhone has a timer at 10 o'clock and I say prepare for sleep rit uh, ritual, 10 o'clock every night. I'm not going to go to bed till an hour later, but I start preparing for it, you know, turning off the television, turning off lights, feeding the cat, all the stuff that needs to be done. Keep a regular schedule. Technology, start turning down your technology that hour before. Temperature in your room. We know the cooler the room, the deeper the sleep. Also, sound. Um, make sure that you have the least sound possible. If not, you can get a noise-canceling machine. They're fabulous. Um, even these air purifiers that we've all, a lot of us have put in our bedrooms recently, turn that on. That cancels noise. Color and blackout. Color, make sure your bedroom is your favorite color, a peaceful color like a pale blue, a, a pale, pale yellow, something that you love, a delicious green. Make it your favorite color that's inviting. And go buy some, you know, comforters, color. Get your favorite flowers or birds or whatever you love on your bed. Make it your, again, here we go, it's your nest. 
It's your coziest place on earth. It's your womb, okay? You are returning back to the womb when you sleep. And also, I love to invest in blackout curtains. It's wonderful, it makes your room dark. So now your room is dark and cool and wonderful. These are bedtime important rituals. And then your rituals, what do you do before you go to bed? I have my ritual, I get into bed, I have this pillow I lay beside, I snush it in me, then I read. I read for at least 10 minutes every night. So the minute I start reading, my brain is so used to me doing that for 10 minutes, I can hardly keep the book open for the last two minutes. Your brain is being trained, your body's being trained. And there are all kinds of now apps that are wonderful to help you sleep, all kinds of inducements. Try not to eat a heavy meal before you go to sleep. There are some great be uh, bedtime snacks, you know, things like a little piece, I don't eat meat, but still like a little piece of turkey uh, helps tryptophan, create tryptophan and serotonin, which calm you down. Things like a, a small glass of milk, some cottage cheese, uh, things that have calcium also relax you. Sometimes I'll get up and have a glass of milk. So a little piece of cheese, things like that. There are bedtime snacks that actually calm the brain and help you sleep. And also I keep a piece of paper right by the bed with a pen. That's part of my bedtime ritual so that if I'm worried about something, I quit reading and go to bed and something pops up. Like, you have to do this tomorrow. You, don't forget this. Make sure you write it down. Uh, get out. Write it down. Uh, and again, don't try to get out of bed. Try to lean over. Write it down because it's right there because it will continue to pop up at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning. But train your brain that once it's written down, it's taken care of. Because the minute I write that down, I am dead out like two minutes later. And it's training. Your brain and your body love bedtime rituals. They are absolutely amazingly healthy. And if you have children, it will change their lives because they'll learn how sacred sleep is and how healing and powerful it is. Also, if you have a partner or a spouse, it will teach them. Also, spread it around to your friends, family. It's important because we are all in this together. Next slide. E is for exercise. Exercise is the second root of true happiness. Getting that body moving. Next slide. And this is my husband. And it even, the belly even kind of looks like my husband in his boxers. I love this. What fits your busy day better? Okay, let me do this one all over. I read it wrong. Slide 22. I love this cartoon. This is perfectly my husband. The guy on the right. Even though he's a doctor, he's the guy on the right. What fits your busy schedule better? Exercising one hour a day or being dead 24 hours a day? <laughs> when I found this, I actually blew this up, printed it out, and put it on the refrigerator because he hates to exercise. Um, but as um, his midlife belly began to grow, I uh, took this very seriously. Next slide. And why exercise? Science tells us exercise lowers your blood pressure, cholesterol, gets more healthy oxygen to the brain. And most of us nowadays, we know. Exercise lowers your risk for strokes, heart disease, cancer, pretty much all, all diseases. So, one-third fewer deaths, okay? So, uh, when you exercise, 30 to 40% reduction in chronic disease, 50% reduction in your risk for cancer. It helps relieve depression, relieves insomnia. 
and it definitely slows aging. Getting that oxygen to that brain and to all your organs, absolutely. Why exercise? You know why. We just have to get moving. Next slide. So E is for exercise and your self-care, okay, S-E-L-F. So for you, go for a walk, dance. Every afternoon when I'm making dinner and something has to cook for 10 minutes, I turn up the radio and the girls, my dogs, and I dance. They're used to it. We've been doing it forever. Dance uh, any chance you get. It gets your mind and body moving. Online games actually help your brain. Find some challenging games. Of course, puzzles are wonderful, jigsaw puzzles. Um, all kinds of things. You can actually Google and find out some better uh, ones that will help you, but we do need to grow our brain. Be playful. Most people forget to play as they age, they get work, you know, they get overwhelmed with work. We think children play. So the problem is we all need to play till the day we die. One of the universal things about octogenarians, they are playful people and they don't take everything seriously. So, Play, 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 play. And don't forget yoga stretches. Okay, you can, uh, I like the site Gaia, myself, personally.com. They have all kinds of yoga. I've had some back problems lately. They have back yoga. They've got weight loss yoga. Or do chair yoga. I learned a lot of chair yoga, meaning when I'm on an airplane, when I'm working during the day, I stop, take my time out, and do some yoga stretches. It's amazing. Get that body moving. Also, get on the floor with your kids. Teach them some yoga stretches. At work, take the stairs, get a group together, walk at lunch, get outside. Remember the ecotherapy and try to keep a five-pound weight maybe by your desk and lift it. Or at home, keep it by your chair or by your couch at night while you're watching your favorite TV show. Walk in a group. Get a sports team together, whether it's a neighborhood sports team, a work sports team. And with your family, get family walks. Put up a basketball net. Physical interactive games like badminton. We always had a badminton for 20 years. Badminton net in our back. We had a basketball hoop and we walked. Every night of our lives, we did one of those, at least one of those three things. And of course, uh, you know, all of us were normal weight, healthy. Also, there's something wonderful about walking in disclosure with your family. You start walking, talking, and sharing. So exercise. Get out there and exercise. Next slide. So this is out for love. Okay, slide 25. Uh, so love. L is for love. It's the third root of happiness and health. Next slide. Love. I do so share my deepest emotions with you. Hungry and tired are my deepest emotions. <laughs> this is my husband with his goldfish and his chocolate-covered peanuts. Um, seriously, with his remote. So um, when I saw this, I just cracked up. So I think uh, many of us can identify with this. Next slide. Okay, slide 23. No, it's not. It's not slide 23. It is slide... Bu -bu uh, 27, sorry. Okay, slide 27.
Why love? Intimacy. Intimacy means in to me see. Intimacy and love.